The West South Connection, we are back for another installment of Making the Case. Tyler, are you ready or what, dude? I am ready, Ryan. I'm sitting here twirling my Persian clubs and wearing my pointy boots, and I am ready to make the case and make you humble. <laughs> All right, well, I have my 10-gallon cowboy hat on, I have my shit-kicking boots on, and I have my APA shirt on. So I tried to kind of combine all of his gimmicks. If you haven't figured it out yet, I am making the case for JBL, Justin Hawk Bradshaw, Bradshaw, John Layfield. And my boy over here, Tyler Kelly, is making the case for Colonel Mustafa. <laughs> uh, I believe that's great Hussein Arab. Uh, General Adam, did I say the wrong one? <laughs> no, no, you said the right one. I think you said the right one. Good. You go, what goes by many names, the most common one will be the Iron Sheik. <laughs> yes. Now, do you, before we get into it, do you believe, Tyler, that the Iron Sheik has his own Twitter account? Or do you think a comedian runs it for him? Oh, I'm sure he's not doing it himself, but. <laughs> but it adds to his aura 100%. Yeah. Yeah, he is. I, I'm. He may be the only person you should follow on Twitter, really. So. <laughs> Hulk Hogan, you piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. All right, Tyler, where did John, where did John Bradshaw lay field, and where did the Iron Sheik finish in 2017? Okay, in 2017, the Iron Sheik was number 65, and JBL was number 59. Um. I had the Iron Sheik at number 46 last time and JBL at number 56 last time. All right. So I had JBL at number 51. So I was right with the median. And believe it or not, I don't think I ranked Sheiky. I had him like 103, 104. Ooh. So okay. that's, that's on me. Uh, he may make my case depending how you do, but I just was probably a little light in his work and I overlooked a lot of his aura and a lot of his importance. In a way, or I just didn't really weigh it heavily enough, and I kind of took too much. I, I probably bit too much into his later career and took that kind of for granted. So that's kind of on me a little bit. I, I think he'll make my list this time, and I think Bradshaw will probably dip a little bit, but I don't really think that they're going to intersect or pass each other. But, hey, this is what we're here for, Tyler. Are you ready for uh, Iron Sheiky Baby and longevity? I am. So Sheiky Baby first made his way to the then WWE. WF in 1979. Uh, he was wrestling as the great Hussein Arab or Hussein Arab and uh, was often listed on the screen as Hossein the Arab. Uh, so the crack production work was on fire there. Um, he would challenge the WWF champion Bob Backlund in Madison Square Garden as early as June 1979. And he'd be a regular challenger and arrival for Backlund. So cue the ominous music, foreshadowing of things to come. Um, he left for other territories in 1980 before returning to the WWF in 1983. And he'd stay with the company until 1987 when he and Hacksaw Jim Duggan were pulled over, with Duggan being high on marijuana, Sheik high on cocaine, and additional cocaine found in the car. Now, of course, this being wrestling, none of that mattered. But the fact that a hated Iranian heel could ride with Mr. USA, ho! Now that was unthinkable. So the Sheik was released. Uh, he returned in February 1988, but was gone by the summer. And he returned again in 1991, having changed his name to Colonel Mustafa and his nationality to Iraqi to join forces with his former hated rival, 
Sergeant Slaughter, and he did nothing good here and was gone again in 1992. He would also later manage the Sultan along with Backlund, and he made a triumphant return and won the glorious gimmick battle royal at WrestleMania 17. Uh, during his time in the WWF, he was a WWF World Heavyweight Champion, a WWF Tag Team Champion, and is a Hall of Famer. All right, so the, quite the res, oh, quite the longevity for the Iron Sheik, baby. All right, well, Justin Hawk Bradshaw debuted in January 2006, or January 1996, and he would be pretty much Justin Hawk Bradshaw for the first whole 1996. And then in February 2000, or February 1997, he would team up with Barry Windham, and they would become the new Blackjacks. They would be the new Blackjacks kind of all the way into, like, mid-2000, or mid, Jesus, that's 2098 stuff's fucking killing me, Tyler, into mid two Jesus, again, mid-1998, and then he would kind of go on a single run once they had a falling out, and he ended up finding himself at the tail end of 1998 with Nation of Domination de facto, another guy lost in space, Farouk. They would become the Acolytes, they would join the Ministry of Darkness, and they would put signals on their chest. <laughs> And then pretty much once The Undertaker in, went away and the ministry went away, they stayed as a tag team, and then they became that beer-swinging, poker-playing, kick-ass APA. They would be the APA all the way up for pretty much the majority of their time up till 2020 or 2004 with a, you know, a, break, a brief hiatus in 2002 where they would break off and go singles runs for like when the brand expansion happened. And then Bradshaw, Bradshaw had a feud with uh, Scott Hall and then that really didn't go well. Bradshaw got hurt and then later returned around in 2003, jumping back with the APA, have that, have that awesome bar, bar, bar room brawl. And then they would tag for the whole calendar year up until right after WrestleMania 20 and then they would break off and then JBL would go on this on his peak. He would become the WWF champion at the Great American Bash 2004. He would hold that all the way to WrestleMania 21. And then after that, he would follow himself back into the gatekeeper role, upper mid card, flirt with the main events when needed. When a young champion like CM Punk or a young champion like Dave Batista would need a challenger. Uh, and then he did that all Rey Mysterio, too. And then he Rey Mysterio kind of retired him in the middle of 2006 where he would become the announcer all the way to the tail end of 2007. He was a SmackDown announcer with Cole and then he would have a big return and that awesome memorable angle with Jericho at the tail end of 2007 and 2000 on New Year's Eve 2007 he would be draft or he would join Monday Night Law and he would just kind of like like earlier fit into the upper mid card all the way till WrestleMania 25 where he had that awesome two second angle or two second match that was really an angle where he retired and quit after losing the Intercontinental Championship to Rey Mysterio and then he would be an announcer after that here and there all the way till his pre-show panel stuff now so longevity is long for Justin Bradshaw or JBL, however you want to call him. Yeah. Yeah, I think he would win in longevity. He's been there a long time. 
So pretty much 96 till 2009 with a year off in between. And he really only had one stint of injuries, and that was uh, 2002 and 2003. So, yeah, I would, you know, the, probably 10, 11, 12 years. And it's all consistent, and it was all in the mid-card or up the mid-card. He had a pretty decent year-long run as a B-show B champ on a downtime. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, I agree. It's JBL. All right, Sheiky Baby and Charisma, what do we got? So, Sheik had great, unique charisma. He played the foreign menace well, uh, giving a lot of offense to his opponent, making them look like a million bucks. He could also play the more formidable heel, as he could be a legitimate threat to the baby faces like Backlund and Slaughter. Uh, and he was great with the comedy and personality. He could be both a serious heel and a cartoon heel, which was really the ask in the rock and wrestling era. Yeah, uh, JBL and Charisma, it's really, it's strong, in my opinion. Even if he's that, like, memorable Stan Hansen wannabe with that bullhorn and that just kick ass-kicking style. But it was memorable, and his charisma shined through it. The Blackjack's kind of a dead-in-the-gimmick water, but he stood out over a seasoned, awesome Barry Windham. JBL was kind of just kind of stood out, too, in his own way. He wasn't all, he was always – he was never a bridesmaid. He was always up there. And then, Jesus, the APA, just so much charisma. Their longevity as a team is due to their charisma. It's not due to them, you know, going up there having five-star tag matches like they would nowadays. It was the memorable skits, and it was the charisma. And it really was the star power. And then, geez, after breaking out and then just watching him transfer into JBL, and that worked instantly, one, due to Eddie Guerrero, and two, due to JBL's charisma. He just totally did a 180 with that character. And the charisma shined, and the charisma made him, for whatever it be, you know, we had him in the mid-60s as a whole. Maybe he jumps into the lower 70s. Maybe he hangs around a little. But... And a lot of that is charisma. He's just this big beefy beefcake full of charisma, and he makes anything work. If it's a if it's a main event scene, he can make that work as a shitty heel. If it's comedy, he can make that work. And Jesus, even as an announcer, he had a really good stint where his charisma would really really shine. And then the you know in the latter part of his his uh, commentary career is kind of give it a, it's a little suspect, but. Overall, he still had his moments due to charisma. I don't know. This one's tough. I like. I really like both these guys' charisma. What do you think, Tyler? Yeah, I agree. I think it is a. Uh, I think it's a plus for both guys. Uh, now, I I don't think we're supposed to count commentary. Uh, and although I do, in, I will admit I enjoy JBL's commentary, but yeah. I don't know. That's uh, that's one of those things that I always kind of struggle with as well. Um. So I think it's a plus for both. I wouldn't object if you wanted to give this one to uh, to JBL, but I I may have some uh, some counterpoints to some of the things as we move on through. Yeah, well, I, I'm just going to go JBL just because he, his charisma always shined, and it was just more vast. It was more – he had different roles, right, where the Sheik, geez, he, he's more charismatic now. <laughs> but I don't want to take that away from him. Charisma is definitely going to help him get him on this list. So I would go a small check mark to JBL if you want. All right, so Sheiky Baby in star power. What do you got? Yeah, so the Iron Sheik's a big star from both the pre-Rock and Wrestling era 
and then became one of the most memorable, recognizable stars during the rock and wrestling era. He was the perfect heel for Hogan to be because he had some credibility and he was a big time heater with the Iran gimmick, which was legit because he is from Iran. Uh, and he was an Olympic level Greco Roman wrestler. Uh, he played the gimmick to the hilt, uh, which made him just that unforgettable character in the 80s, one of the definitive heels, so much so that he was a mainstay of the Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling cartoon. When you think of that early era of Hulkamania, I mean, Iron Sheik is just one of the top heels you think of. So I, mean, I think he's got huge star power from one of their hottest periods of time. Yeah, it's kind of like the peak of the golden age or the start of the golden age versus kind of the downfall of the ruthless aggression era in a way for like peak star power. So the way, so do you like, do you take a, a main event star power guy in JBL in a lower, lower tier era versus the golden era who is, you know, is a top era if that, if that's that or the attitude era or whatever, right? It, for, to an upper mid card was Sheik, who held the title. What did he hold the title for? Fucking a month, two months, or whatever. So. Well, yes, but he he ended a five year reign for Backlund, and then he started Hulkamania. So well, I mean, yes, it was a one month reign, but that's pretty significant. No, I know, that, but that's where that's that's peak moments. I think that's he, that that peak moment is going to trump anything JBL has for a peak moment. We're talking. St- we're, I'm weighing star power. So I don't know. I think I think we give it to Shiki, but it's kind of close as in like the charisma in a way, just because the era is large. But then again, if you're an attitude era guy or, or even a tail, you know, a 2000 guys, those J- APA shirts are fucking popular as hell. And I understand that he's half of that. But, you know, he was a, a legacy tag team guy, you know, also was Sheik. But. I think Sheik is much more known mainstream-wise than JBL, just from the rock and uh, the rock and wrestling era. Even if JBL was a little higher on the card for a little longer, but the the golden era shined much more than you know SmackDown 2004, five, six. <laughs> True, and I do think that one of the criticisms of JBL is that that push came out of absolutely nowhere. So I think that the his lack of star power when he started his title reign was pretty noticeable. And it's, that's not to say that he didn't use his charisma to become a bigger star, but I do feel like that was that was a very noticeable, you know, shoot up the card. Well, well, that star power, you know, the the backing of this, you know, this. Play, what, what what was he, an arrogant Texas billionaire, J.R. Ewing or whatever? So his star power from going on the stock market shows and Fox News or whatever really gave the WWE confidence to go with JBL. You know, they, 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 they needed people for Eddie. Kurt was hurt. Brock went away. Batista was on Raw. Cena was, you know, Cena was on the rise, but he wasn't ready. Um, J, uh, Triple H... Doesn't want to work Tuesdays. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, having JBL having that background, I, you know, I, I, that gave them the confidence to really go with this character. And the character worked, despite being at a downtime. You can't say it didn't work, but it should be the Iron Sheik. 
similar to how JBL won Charisma. This is Iron Sheik should win Star Power. You okay. good with that? Yep, I'm good with that. Yeah, so if I would say like if JBL Star Power is a sheet is a six, right? Sheikis is a seven, right? So it's it's close, but you know what I'm saying. Sheiky edges them out. All right, flexibility and Sheik, what do you got? So obviously the Iranian who partnered with the Russian in the 1980s who constantly said USA Hakui was never a babyface. So uh, he was so effective as a heel. I don't know why you would turn him babyface and. Just the nature of the character was not – that was not going to happen in the 1980s. So, um, But I felt like Shiki Baby was effective as both a single star and a tag team with Nikolai Volkov. Uh, and, and more so, I think that Sheik showed versatility because he could go have a bloody brawl with Sergeant Slaughter and then turn around and stooge and show ass to any baby face, much to the delight of the – cheering crowd chanting USA, USA, and just the ability to make both his baby face opponents look good and then he himself to look credible with, you know, he had really solid offense when the heel team takes over. I think that was just really a strength for the Sheik. All right, so JBL and flexibility is pretty good in my opinion. Uh, even if it's a mid-card baby face or mid-card heel starting off, he was pretty flexible to work up the mid card, just to tip above, you know, to face the Undertaker right down to like the Savio Vegas, just just to get off the ground. And then if he he was flexible enough to jump into a, a tag team and have a reboot of a 1970 flag tag team in the Blackjacks, and he was flexible enough in the character work to jump in there and make that work for a whole year. And then he jumped back down. He was a, he was a dark acolyte, you know. After kind of toiling in the in the mid card, being nowhere to go, the Undertaker took him in, you know, being his friend in real life with Farouk. And then he took a Farouk, you know, a, a totally different character, you know, Nation of Domination, something totally out of left field in a way. And then they just really took their backstage presence and turned it into TV characters. And that showed pretty good flexibility. They worked as heels, they worked as babies, they were the tag champs, they worked, they started. They worked down in the, down in the tag team division, the developed teams. They had tons of backstage filler on TV time with you know memorable, memorable, memorable poker games and stuff like that. They were very versatile on the stick, very versatile as characters, and very versatile just in the mid card. And then as champion, geez, you know, just talk versatile. He's in a tag team match at WrestleMania 22 in like the third match from the from the bottom, one of the worst matches on the card. And then they just flip him six, two weeks later, and he's in the main event scene the next three pay-per-views against Eddie Guerrero. So that just shows flexibility there too, available flexibility in the being able to adapt to your surroundings and into your scenarios, flexibility to become a commentator, flexibility to jump out of a commentator booth and then really go work. He was an upper mid card on that whole raw run. And, you know, it was very hit or miss. The Jericho feud stunk, but it was, but had memorable moments. So JBL, he might not be flexible as a wrestler, but he's very flexible as a character up and down the card. And I don't know, I think just because of longevity, just similar to longevity, his longevity was due to his flexibility. That's why I kind of think we should give it to him. What do you think? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think they are close because I, I do think that his in-ring work wasn't as flexible as I would like, but his character work, I suppose you could argue he, he was able to make multiple characters work. So, 
you know, I'll, I'll give him a, a bit of a, a credit for that. Yeah. All right. Well, you want some credit for Sheiky Baby? I think you're about to get it. What do we got for the Sheik in, in peak moments, my friend? Yeah, peak moments. So in 1979, uh, Sheik is the great Hussein Arab, uh, won the first battle royal at Madison Square Garden, which led to him challenging the champion, Bob Backlund, later in the night in a good match. Um, and then uh, also in during that 1979 run, um, he had a match with uh, Japanese legend Antonio Inoki at Madison Square Garden, which is another peak moment and worth noting. Uh, upon his return in 1983, uh, Sheik once again challenged Backlund, and this time he took advantage of a neck injury that Sheik had actually caused when he attacked Backlund during a Persian Persian club challenge. And uh, he won the title from Backlund, ending his five-plus-year title reign. Um, and as we'd mentioned earlier, the title reign was short-lived, as the biggest peak moment was when Sheiky Baby lost the WWF world title to Hulk Hogan, starting Hulkamania the, very, the month after he had won it from Backlund at Madison Square Garden. Uh, despite alleged offers from Vern Gagne to, for a payday to break Hogan's leg, and Sheik was a legitimate shooter, uh, shoot amateur wrestler competing for a spot in the Olympics and later serving as an assistant coach for the Olympics. So, uh, you know, no matter how much he wants to get on him on, on Twitter, I think Hogan should be should thank his stars that Sheik didn't decide he wanted to go into, bis, into business with Vern there. Uh, but... I think Sheik was the perfect guy to put over Hogan, letting him vanquish the foreign menace, and he and look like the conquering superhero uh, to just kick off that reign and that really hot streak. Um, then Sheik, along with his tag team partner, won the WW, which was uh, Nikolai Volkov, won the WWF tag titles from the U.S. Express at the first WrestleMania. Uh, Sheik was also in the first match ever on the first Saturday night's main event, teaming with Volkov and George Steele against Ricky Steamboat in the U.S. Express. Steele turned face after the loss, uh, which may not have been the best idea, given what we all saw from babyface George Steele and some things to come. But we can't blame Sheik for that. Um, one of the things I think is a huge peak moment, and, and this plays into a lot of the things later on, is the great feud he had with Sergeant Slaughter that culminated in a classic boot camp match at Madison Square Garden, widely considered one of the best matches in company history. I uh, finished at number 49 on the PTBN greatest WWE match list, which I think is tragically low. Um, and the last peak moment I think that he had is he won the gimmick battle Royal at WrestleMania 17, which I enjoyed tremendously. I thought that was really fun. It was silly, but it was a nice callback to the past. And WrestleMania 17 was a huge, huge show. Uh, certainly one of the best WrestleManias of all time. And and that was a memorable moment in that show. So that's what I got for Sheiky Baby. I love, I love that battle royal. <laughs> I do too. Yeah. It's so like, oof. All right. So really not like we I don't want to repeat what I went over with charisma and star power, whatever, but nothing really super high and memorable. Um, you know, WrestleMania 13, 
as the blackjack, that's probably his peak moment as the as a blackjack. As Justin Hawk Bradshaw, it's probably the Undertaker match on Raw is probably his peak match. Or if not that, it's probably like the, just his vibe with Zeb Coulter, who's you know Uncle Zebekiah, and then uh, the Raw after WrestleMania match against the Undertaker, like I mentioned. And then the Mind Games match with Savio. That's really it for Justin Hawk Bradshaw. Nothing really with the new Blackjacks besides the breakup in the WrestleMania 35 match. Some Kai and Tai stuff that I recall. Um, and then it's just the APA coming together. He was pretty – him and Farouk were very important in a way. I'm not – this isn't really making his case against Sheik, but he was important in a way. He felt like a – like a presence with the undertaker for, for really the first time as like a, a sustainable pr- a presence when him and Farouk, you can just picture him with Farouk, right? Like with the undertaker, with the, t- you know, with the paint and they were just menacing. They was just, it just fit like a glove, you know, no pun intended because they wore black gloves or whatever, but they just fit, they just fit perfectly with the undertaker, you know, where viscera was a little weird looking Midian was, was perfect, but also like not a, um, like a menacing character. He was more of like a whipping boy, but these guys were menacing. They added like, fuck you to the undertaker in a good way. So that like, that's just like peak moments for them. Um, and then just really a- APA bar, bar brawls, APA poker games. I could, you know, the Dudley's match, uh, the WrestleMania gauntlet match or whatever. It's not much, much, the hardcore matches at WrestleMania. That's really, they're kind of like WrestleMania or whatever, or just pay-per-views, in general, they don't really have many peak moments as APA. They're just more of like an aura, star power, charisma, you know, character work. Is the APA opposed to peak moments and matches? And then really just the, the the demise of them. It's a memorable memorable moment where he kind of – Heyman says, if you guys don't be too cool <laughs> – how shitty was this roster at the time? Rikishi and Scotty Duhati in 2004. If you guys don't beat them, you have to, you guys are fired. And they were like, I wasn't talking about you, Bradshaw. I actually like you, Bradshaw. I see a lot in you, Bradshaw. I'm talking about you, Farouk. And then he turns his back on Farouk, and he was really good in that moment. So that was a really good peak moment where he, he just has his last tinge of baby face before he went complete evil. And then, man, did he take a dump on everyone the week after and oh my god the border control stuff with <laughs> against the mexicans right away to establish that credit character peak moments his limo was constantly disfigured if it was cena batista if it was the undertaker taking the tombstone through it at wrestlemania after that shitty match um really a lot of peak moments for jbl but honestly and then all oh, real quick even the return to jbl with Chris Jericho, that was a great bloody moment right there when he t- flipped on Jericho at that. I think it was Armageddon match at the pay- Armageddon pay-per-view match against Orton at the end of 07. Great memorable moment there. And then the Finley stuff, great. We'll get into that later. And then the moment that this is not a match moment, but it's more of a moment. His retirement in Texas Stadium or Houston Stadium, excuse me, at WrestleMania 25, well, like 10 seconds, 619. And then he just has the, he has great timing too, by the way. I forgot to mention that, or I'll mention that in his promos, but he has great timing. He sinks it all. I quit. You know, and that's just a great moment too, but nothing is going to overtake 
the Sheiky with the transition in oh, the, from Backlund to Hogan. Not at all. I'm, ma- I'm not making the case for that, Tyler. I'm more making JBL's case just in general, just to, to make some memorable moments there off the top of my head. But this category is a big check mark to the Iron Sheik peak moments. You agree, bud? Yeah. I mean, you <laughs> you are really uh, doing your work here trying to come up with moments for the new Black Jacks and Justin Hawk Bradshaw and uh well I was just trying to put a little spotlight on because those you're not grabbing he's not make here's the thing those characters are memorable but they're memorable because of a few moments not really because of the matches you know what I mean so I was really kind of digging in deep there but really I didn't have any much much substance I was just they're memorable characters we'll get to that in a second but storylines what do you got for storylines in our boy Iron Sheik Okay, so uh, I'd mentioned he'd won a battle royal in his MSG debut, which resulting resulting in him challenging the WWF champion Bob Backlund later in the evening in a very good match. So I'll talk about that later. Uh, during this run, he would also challenge Ted DiBiase for the North American title, uh, which was kind of the predecessor that was eventually combined with the South American title, which I'm pretty sure was made up into the Intercontinental title. Um, and he also faced other superstars like Chief Jay Strongbow and Bruno Sammartino before departing in 1980. And I mentioned it early, earlier, but he also notably faced uh, Antonio Inoki at Madison Square Garden in 1979. And I do think that is a big deal. He was pro- That probably shows that he was one of the top heels at the time and uh, probably one that they could count on to get a heel reaction, you know, as opposed to, uh, to make sure that Anoki didn't get booed or anything. Um, upon his return in 1983, he again challenged Backlund in December to both a title match and a Persian club challenge. Uh, he attacked Bob after he successfully completed the Persian club challenge, injuring his neck in the process. Uh, a couple days later, Sheik defeated Backlund when Bob re-aggravated his neck injury and Sheik applied the camel clutch, forcing Backlund's manager, the golden shower boy, Arnold Scullin, to get off his fat ass for once in his life and throw in the towel. Um, on January 23rd, 1984, Sheik was scheduled to have a rematch with Backlund at MSG, but Backlund was still injured, so he was replaced by Hulk Hogan, who powered out of the camel clutch and defeated Sheiky Baby for the WWF, WWF title, and Hulkamania was born. So uh, Sheik still holds a grudge today, or he's still working the gimmick if you follow him on Twitter. And like we mentioned before, if you don't, you need to. Uh, So following that title loss, he had a bitter and bloody feud with Sergeant Slaughter. Uh, The two had a number of matches kind of on the house show loop in singles and tags, uh, highlighted by that classic boot camp match at Madison Square Garden in June of 1984. I had that match number 12 on my GWW match list, and uh, I know a lot of others think very highly of it as well. Um, Around the same time, he began teaming with Nikolai Volkov, and that duo was just pure gold in terms of heel heat in the mid-80s. They provided a big moment at WrestleMania 1 when they upset the U.S. Express, Barry Windham and Mike Rotundo, to win the tag titles. Uh, after she hit Wyndham with the Ayatollah Blasties Kane, uh, they would lose the titles back to Wyndham and Rotunda, Rotundo 
on July 13th, 1985. Um, and they regularly feuded with all the babyface teams of the 80s, including the British Bulldogs, the Killer Bees, and the Can-Am Connection. So I guess the Killer Bees rivalry must have been particularly personal since Sheik regularly threatens to break B. Brian Blair's back and make him humble the old country way. He's done that for decades after, so there must have been something there. Um, I'd mentioned before he appeared in the first match on the first Saturday night's main event, teaming with Volkoff and Georgie Animal Steel. Uh, of course, Steel fucked up the master plan of Sheik, Volkoff, and Blasty because he's an idiot. So the heels beat him, uh, which caused the babyface team to uh, go along, along with Captain Lou Albano, who had been Steel's manager previously, to save Steel and turn him babyface in the process. Uh, Blasty was wanting to retire from managing, so he sold the contracts of Sheik and Volkoff, along with other wrestlers, to the new manager, the Doctor of Style, Slick. So Slick became their manager. Sheik was feuding with Hacksaw Jim Duggan at the time of their traffic stop and Sheik's release. Uh, he would return and really did nothing of note uh, other than gain weight, which was mentioned on TV with regularity, apparently. Uh, but then he did once again return as Colonel Mustafa, the Lion King, as part of the Triangle of Terror with Sergeant Slaughter in his feud as a turncoat and Iraqi sympathizer in 1991 and 92. Uh, he tagged with Slaughter and General Adnan facing Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior in a foregone conclusion match at SummerSlam 1991. And he also appeared in the 1992 Royal Rumble, giving him two five-star matches on his resume, and he remained with the company through May of 1992, which seems incredible to me. uh, Again, he later came back and managed the Sultan, along with Backlund in 96 and 97, and... They had some good skits doing some Persian club training skits. Um, but Sheik would be gone in 1997 when he failed the medicine test, in his words. Uh, and we did talk a little bit about his return at WrestleMania 17, where he participated and won the super fun gimmick battle royal, uh, perhaps due to the concerns that he could not take the over-the-top bump. Uh, but who are we <laughs> to say? Um, and that is kind of odd because he well it's understandable because he got very fat but in his prime he was actually a very good bumper so and you really will see that in that slaughter match but speaking of slaughter he attacked the now virtuous sheik who was cheered after the win uh, and slaughter applied the cobra clutch so i am sure sheiky baby is looking to get his revenge and will break his back and make him humble soon that 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 summarizes the storylines of the iron sheik all right I hope Sheiky humbles him soon, too. All right, so Justin Hawk Bradshaw, feuded with Savio Vega right away. Uh, Excuse me, Bob Holly right away. And then really just his only memorable feud was was really just Savio Vega. The Blackjacks, they really just kind of memorable feud was Kai and Ty, (laughs) if that, you know what I mean? Some marrow stuff. And honestly... He uh he had a really cool food feud with Vader right after the Blackjacks, but that I was a little disappointed in the new Blackjacks breaking up. You know I know Cornette was around it with the NWA. I figured it would be a little more little more substance to it, but you know technically Bradshaw won the feud and then kind of went on to Vader and then just kind of was just fizzled into the tag team. 
What I didn't mention in Jump Up Moments, what I'll mention now, is the Brawl for All. I believe he made it to the finals of the Brawl for All. I believe so. Where he was, I don't think he was knocked out by Barkon, but he was knocked loopy. So that, you know, his tough guy aura kind of holds true a little bit. Sure, he was the favorite. He he should have He was predicted to win, but you know, eh, he made it to the finals. <laughs> I mean, he looked pretty good. And a bunch of dumbass wrestlers punching each other in the face when they're not really used to that or whatever. Uh, again, not much feuds with the acolytes. Or the APA, Dudley Boys, when they debuted, Hardy Boys, uh, here and there, X-Pac and Kane, I believe they won the belts when they won the minute, X-Pac and Kane won the belts from the Acolytes, so I believe that's kind of like a little jump up, even though we're on, on, on storylines, but I'll mesh the two together. He won the European title in uh, 2000. Jump up mo- or 2001, I want to believe around there. Jump up moment there. Hardcore title a bunch of times, especially when he kind of broke out in 02, and then he got hurt. That sucks. But um, he would return and really kind of just be on the show. No real feuds. A WrestleMania 20 match. A, a WrestleMania, and then then he, the the meat of his feuds jumped in. Um, Storyline wise, Eddie Guerrero, his biggest probably his biggest in baddest opponent and he would go on to defeat Eddie Guerrero at the Great American Bash and they had a lot of juice to this storyline too I believe Eddie it was a little hokey but he he touches I believe it was a house show but they showed the footage on Smackdown where he went up to Eddie's mom when Eddie was getting an award in Mexico or something like that at the end of a house show so JBL entered the ring and his mom stayed in the ring and then JBL was all menacing or whatever so he went and looked at his mom put his hand on her shoulder and she had a quote unquote heart attack <laughs> but um and then after that he would get the, the the cabinet Orlando Jordan and the Bashams and they were kind of just be just run smackdown they were they were there just as to just to Get through them to get to JBL, which would lead to feuds with between The Undertaker, The Big Show, Kurt Angle, The Big Show and Kurt Angle, and then John Cena. John, he was the one to put over John Cena. They had a pretty meh WrestleMania 31 match, but they had a pretty good Judgment Day match. Um, the I Quit match after JBL claims he never quit. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, J- Cena and Batista would go on to switch brands, and then JBL would be put in a feud with Batista. It was kind of mad, but it established Batista on SmackDown. But right in between that, he would show up on One Night Stands and lead the anti-ECW Crusaders. And he was absolutely electric as the anti-ECW heel you know, JBL to the fullest, anti-Paul Heyman, anti-ECW, the fucking, the writing the blank checks, bouncing the basketball, and just all that stuff was beautiful. Um, And then he would go on to later feud with Chris Benoit to close out that year, leading into the WrestleMania 22 match. And then he would go on to just kind of dabble, up in the upper mid card, and then he would lose to Rey Mysterio and be a an announcer, be an announcer for 18 months about or so, 
and then feud with Chris Jericho on return, feud with Finley, jump into the world title mix, establish CM Punk, um, be the IC champ, be the U.S. champ on the SmackDown in the end of 06, have a really decent like TV feud with Shawn Michaels before he got ready for The Undertaker, and then he would get retired by... Rey Mysterio. He would later go on to being an announcer after that, and I believe he was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame in recent years. I forget which year they kind of all go together at the end of this. But he's always around on TV, and he's always there. But, oh, what do you think? There's a lot of longevity there. What do you think about overall storylines comparing the two, Tyler? So It's tight, I think. uh, So... I mean, yeah, my personal preference would be the Iron Sheik. Uh, JBL has been around for a, a longer period of time on TV a lot, but I, I felt like that there was kind of a lack of great storylines during some of his run. The Eddie stuff you mentioned, I agree with. That was that was the oh, high, kind of peaked immediately upon the main event run. And then after that, it just felt to me like he was a little bit of, this is a main eventer you can kind of plug in, and then you plug in the next main eventer, and then you create. What's that? Definitely a plug and play. So, what storyline would you let's play a game? What storyline would you pit against the Eddie Guerrero one for the Sheik? Um, the that's yeah. So I would say probably the feud with Sergeant Slaughter. Uh, I was considering the Hulk, the Hulk Hogan feud, which was a month, but it was that transition, the storyline of him winning the belt from Backlund and then then dropping it to uh, to Hogan, and it was that was all, you know, the the Hogan versus Foreign Menace. So those would be the two that I would would look at first. So. So JBL has he has way more meat on the bone, but how much of it is fatty? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and in some ways that maybe they are uh, maybe they have the same issue in that it's character driven, but maybe it's not as specific storyline driven. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe just because of wealth, I would go eight JBL. It's a little swollen. You know what I mean? It's a little swollen. It's a little full of water. There's not much really meat on it. But I don't think anything can outweigh the J- the Eddie stuff. But that's also the one, you know a really downtime in the company. So I would say JB, uh, JBL versus Eddie is more of a storyline than a peak moment. And I think that the Sheik versus Hogan is more of a peak moment than a storyline. Um, how long was the, the JBL, uh, the, the Sheik and the um, slaughter stuff early, early on there? I mean, they, oh, they feuded for several months. Um, so I know they were feuding in, I know they had MSG matches in April um and then the the famous one was in june and but i think they were still fighting even later into the summer like august so it was probably a four month four month feud 
Hmm. So that's yeah. Well, back in that day, that's for you know that's just short viewed in a way. <laughs> um, well, yeah. And, JBL, if you if you want to go, if you agree, great. If you want to go your own way, I don't mind going small check mark. I don't mind going equal sign if if yeah. you gotta twist my arm. There's just so much more volume, but there's it's just how do you weigh the fat? You know what I mean? Because there's a lot of fat. Yeah. I mean, I. I don't. <laughs> Shiki was there too for the for slaughter in '91. That's, you know, that's you know, true. That's not a you know it's not a lot you know it's not a lot of substance but he was there and he added to it and he marched his ass off you know I. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know that's I don't know this just want to go equal sign I I'm personally on my sheet I'd go. I go JBL, but if you want to go equal sign, I'm not mad at you. I'm not gonna fight. Yeah, I, I really don't care. Um, just the cabinet. You got, you know, you got the cabinet. You got the acolytes. I don't know. I know those are yeah. storylines, but they're. I don't know. There's just more meat there. Yeah. Um. That that's fine. I I mean I know how which one <laughs> I know who's finishing higher on my list at the end of the day. Anyway, you know, just because not all of them are weight equal like i won't just i don't have a mathematical formula or anything so so you can give it to jbl we can and i'm a lot i do all right so promo promo skills just give me those give me the shiki baby and hot poof i ran i ran number one usa ha and you know shiki used the fact that he didn't speak english as his first language to his advantage to get even more heat so whenever he had to explain to Gene Mean, how the USA was Haktui. I mean, it just riled up the crowd. Teaming with Volkov, that national anthem, that was just a great act. The Russian national anthem or the USSR national anthem. And um, and other times he would ask the ring announcer to ask the crowd not to chant USA, which obviously immediately they started chanting USA. If, um, after his victory over Backlund, he did say that I beat that howdy doody and now they give me Hulk Hogan and complained about the unfairness of having to, you know, go against Hogan as a substitute. But I just liked that he called Backlund howdy doody, which I, I don't think that was unique to him. But uh, but I still liked it. I still still popped me a little bit. So, But I don't think this one will be close. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't, it's really not. I like. It's 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 I don't want to call him a bad promo because he was it was that was just more character work than promo really <laughs> you know what I mean but um yeah he just the promos kind of with even just the promos as JBL if he's if he's in there getting ready for the Undertaker if he's in there getting ready for the Batista he's just a good promo and then just the Eddie stuff to really establish while establishing a baseline of a character with the whole illegal immigrant stuff and then just the whole Guerrero thing. And it's just, I don't know, he crushed that. And a lot of it's due to promos and his star power and his charisma really came out in those promos that he delivered. Oh, so well. And then just commentary too. He's, you know, I don't want to say, yeah, he's a commentary, whatever, but you know, that's promos too, in a way, I guess. And then the Jesus, the ECW one night stand, those promos were electric and that's a star-studded show and i know that that was easy cheap but jesus christ he crushed he crushed 
he crushed that. And then, and then the even the like the Saturday Night Main Event stuff in what was that? Oh six, oh seven with Stone Cold. That was a memorable segment promo segment where he you know went, did the had the beer drinking contest with JB uh, with Stone Cold. And you know that was cool and memorable too. And he crushed that. So and then all the panel stuff is silly and give or take. But I'm sure he he does well in those moments too. So I don't know. I th- I don't like I think. The whole, all the hop-poof in America, you, you know, Iran, number one, that's character work. That's not promo. So I'm going big check mark here for JBL. Well, so I will say I, I don't think it is fair to consider all the work he's doing, like, on a panel after he's retired. As I, a, but, but, you know, I will also say that if JBL is, is making your list, it's this is a big reason why is his promo work. So, and that's partly character but you know he he definitely carries his weight on the stick so if you don't think he's a good promo i don't see how you would you would make your list i think he's a he's a very good promo i think that's definitely one of his strengths so yeah i just bring it up as a you know i bring those commentary and the panel stuff just how good and how deep he is you know just as an example but he he wouldn't be doing them if he wasn't a, a skilled talker that's I think that's probably true. I don't think it's, yeah, like I don't think he can add to his resume by doing that. But the fact that he is doing it does show that he is a talented talker. So. Yep. All right. So, all right, Tyler, what do we got for pro, uh, character work in the Iron Sheik? Okay. So character work, Iron Sheik is simply one of the most well-known and iconic characters of the rock and wrestling era or any era. He was the perfect heel foil for the American-made Hogan to vanquish to start that historic first title reign to kick off Hulkamania. He was a legit Olympic athlete, and he had some vicious brawls, which brought enough credibility that beating him meant something. He had a hell of a heel act, too. Having the Ayatollah Blassie by his side, he would do some unknown and unnamed Iranian ritual and singles action, which, of course, would be interrupted by the babyface. Someone was always getting choked out with his headdress, either the baby face because she was cheating and, and jumped them, or if the baby face saw it coming, it was pretty common that they'd get his headdress and they'd choke him out with it. And he he was a, really good at just stooging and, and getting letting that baby face get that shine. Um, of course, when he tagged with Volkov, they'd stand at attention, they'd play the Russian national anthem, then she could grab the mic. And under those famous words we've said several times, Russia, number one, Iran, number one, USA, hot tui. He'd often also request the ring announcer um, tell the crowd to refrain from chanting USA. He had a camel on his trunks on some occasions, just an incredible heater of an act that added so much to his matches, whether they were the singles or the tags. Um, it's probably a good thing that she could legitimately go. Uh, so he didn't get jumped after a match or out on the streets. So, um, And I like that his character worked if he had to be serious in brawls, like his brawls with Slaughter and his matches with Backlund. But it also worked if he just had to stooge and show ass. And and Sheik was just really good at both of those things. And he went all in on his act. Uh, he shaved his head bald. He, he grew that handlebar mustache. He twirled the Persian clubs. and He wore the pointed boots. So, and during his matches, he would be an even bigger bastard by just – he'd regularly spit on his opponents, which is pretty gross. But it, you know, 
more of that heater. Um, and he was also good in just comedy bullshit with Gene Mean and Lord Alfred and things. They, there's one segment where they're talking with Sheik about his camel, and there's really a camel there. I mean, it was basically a three-ring circus, circus back then, so Sheiky Baby fit right in there. Yeah, very memorable character. All right, so JBL in character work. Justin Hawk Bradshaw with Uncle Deliver Kyer. You know, he's just that friggin' that was his initial gimmick, or he's just that Texas cowboy and he was just tough and whatever. You know, I mean, it worked for a year, but it was just middling and mid card. And then transition into the new Blackjacks, it was similar to Justin Hawk Bradshaw, but with like a, a darker side and more rugged side and a more old school side. You know, with he and then he grew the Again, the handle the bar mustache like your boy. So I, I feel like we're getting to a little equal here, buddy. Um, and then the APA, if he, he he really transitioned to that dark character um, before the APA with the acolytes, you know, with the face paint or the chest paint and the symbols. And then he was just really menacing and really added to the Undertaker stable there. And then breaking away to being the fun-loving mid-card kick-ass bar bar fighting. Beer swinging, fucking kick ass, mid card, awesome, memorable tag team of Bradshaw for fucking what five years after that with a little little single run in between, but it was the same character. And then just a complete 180 or the J.R. Ewing, uh, Fortune 500, Texas millionaire. There was a little light to it. The portfolio was electric. He beat Wall Street nine years in a row, whatever. His portfolio was fantastic, and he brought it to TV. And uh, it was just I, – I, I really enjoyed it. It was it, – it was, there was definitely a shelf life on it, but he played it really well. Uh, I was, I'm kind of curious how that would look in a babyface way. It kind of can't, so that kind of hurts, like, depth of it-wise. But it was a super strong heel. The heel work was fantastic, and it was strong. Um. And then that's he just really stayed that character until the present day. He's still JBL. So I don't know. What do you think here? I, I just spit a few characters at you. I spit you a tag team guy. I spit you two variations of a tag team guy. I threw a young, I threw a young mid card baby face at you, and I threw a main event heel at you. What do you think, buddy? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think. I think those early characters were pretty generic. So, I, but uh, you know, I think the APA was a good, memorable heel tag team, and the the JBL character is his kind of his bread and butter. So, what I think on this one, I would have the higher because I do consider him just kind of a transitional, memorable character. At the same time, and I think that is a huge. I think this is maybe the biggest case for both guys. Um, at least arguably, I think they have. I think it's a huge advantage for both guys getting on the list. Um, again, I would have Iron Sheik higher, but I'm I'm would propose an equal sign because this is such a the character work is, to me is 
such a strength for JBL, and it's the JBL character primarily. Uh, the, the APA was kind of a nice secondary, and all the other ones were kind of generic cowboy characters. But I think JBL's character work is what keeps him on the list. So um, I, I'd propose an equal sign here. So, and again, Sheik is my preference, but I can't deny the uh, the quality of JBL's character work, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I go a little similar to Star uh, Star Power here, where it's the kind of the same idea where the Sheik had the, the longevity of the star of the character work and the star power. JBL had a little more flexibility, but we already gave him the flexibility. And JBL has a little more, um, I don't know, over over. Uh, I don't know, there's a little more meat on JBL, a little more flexibility, a little more to it. But overall, I think the bigger aura is the Iron Sheik, and you still see it to now. Not that, but then again, like I would go character work like eight and then like 7.5 for JBL, right? You know, that's kind of yeah. if we were to throw a little numbers on them. So it's a slight edge, but they both have main event in, in the reason why they would be on your list. So I'm going to go small check character work for the Iron Sheik. All right, buddy, we are yeah. cruising. We are almost out of here, Tyler. Feels like we're almost. This is feel like one of our quicker ones, buddy. Yeah, we're we're brisk on this one. So. Yeah. Uh, work rate. What do you got for the chic in work rate? Yeah. So, uh, he's better in the ring than you probably give him credit for. And okay. watching these matches reminded me of that. And, and this is where I just have to remind everyone that he his. Uh, his tenure kind of starts a little before that rock and wrestling. And it's important to watch that and things that were going on kind of behind the scenes. Even the slaughter feud was um, not as focused on as the other things. A lot of, a lot of Sheik's best moments kind of occur outside of the pay-per-views. And really during that time that happened a lot because you'd get two minutes on the pay-per-view and you'd get 15 minutes on a house show circuit. So, um, Obviously, watching that boot camp match with Slaughter, it's an all-time great, hate-filled role. Um, they had other very good matches in singles around the house show circuit. Um, and they end ta- tags with Volkov, and Slaughter would team with babyfaces like JYD and Andre. Um, and that's another thing that we have footage of some of that. We don't have a lot of footage, um, and, but... It's you just have to decide how how much you can draw from that. What we have seen, you know, they had a classic match at MSG, you know, but they took that match around the house show circuit to some degree or another. I don't expect it was always that good, but I expect it was always, you know, good brawls. Um, and I mentioned before that Sheik was a regular challenger to Backlund going back to 1979, rekindling that in 83. Um, and that let him show off some of his strength and some of his technical wrestling skills, which are more advanced than you'd think if you're only familiar with his late career work. He had a variety of suplexes, a side salto being a bit of a signature spot of his. Um, Sheik was always playing his gimmick, and he was always playing it into his matches. Often he'd load up those pointed boots by tapping the toe on the ground. Uh, I have no idea uh, 
what it did. Yeah, I'd heard at one point that it was ball bearings, but I do know that Gorilla Monsoon always sold that it was like a vile, dirty trick, and those boots are straight out of Arabian Nights turned into a a weapon of mass destruction. So um, I do know you had apparently had to load them up each time before use, and it hurt far more if you removed the boot, I guess, because swinging it created more deadly force than a kick or ramming the opponent's head into it while it was still on Sheik's foot. Um, this did backfire in the slaughter match when Sarge loaded up the boot and he hit Sheik for the win, and it gives us the visual of Sheik being pinned with one striped tube sock visible. Um, he also used the camel clutch as his finisher, and uh, it looks way better during his heyday than I remembered. I didn't think he got that in tight, but he, he cinches that in pretty tight in a lot of cases. Uh, he was also liberally using the Ayatollah Class C Freddy Blassie's cane to finish matches. And really, it was a lot of that was just incorporating the gimmick and the character into the matches and giving him giving them that story. So, uh, again, I just really, you know, think that he's a much better worker than you'd think if you've only seen his late end work. And even the tag matches have, you know, and I'll get into several of them in the next category, but there were a lot of those that were, were better than I remembered. And if you watch them, uh, Sheik's role was a lot better. He did a lot of good work in those matches, which is not terribly surprising. If you've watched much Nikolai Volkov, he's less so. <laughs> he's less so of a worker. But that's my soapbox. I just wanted to uh, to really hammer home that Sheik was, in addition to being an all-time great character, he was a really good worker as well. Yes, and I that's what I overlooked in 2017. And going back and watching a lot of mid-'80s stuff and even early-'80s stuff, he shines. So I would agree. But JBL and work rate, honestly, he throws a great right hand and he throws probably the best close line in the history of the WWE. It's like I'm not going to go as far as beyond that, but that's what we're talking about. He throws one hell of a close line. But other than that, he always seems to have, you know, like 20 percent of his match in a headlock. <laughs> Being a big, beefy guy. It might be 25-35% of that match of his offense is a headlock. And there's some psychology there, too. But let's be real. That ain't going to fly nowadays, right? So he's a decent brawler. No, he's a really good brawler. But that's kind of his lane. He ain't going to go out there and do double leg takedowns and and wrestle around and make himself look like a Kurt Angle. No, he's not. But – he, for what he is, he's really good at it, and he, he he's a shit kicker, and I appreciate it, and that's why I, I really – I tend to be a little higher on his style in his matches due to his aggressive, aggressive, aggressive ass-kicking mentality. But overall, just because of low-key, I'm going to give it to Sheik. Yeah, and I kind of felt the same way about JBL's work, and particularly the last – time we did this i do think that he is a good brawler so he does have a lot of stuff where i feel like he he's better than his reputation um i'm right now kind of going through had been going through 2007 and into 2008 uh that stuff's not very good but uh but his first run you know he had some good brawls and you'll you know he's got a couple really good matches i'm quite sure you'll talk about in the next round so but I would give this category to the Iron Sheik. So. Yes. 
right. Next round. What do you got for Shiki? Next round. Right. The last round. Work yeah. resume. What do you got, Tyler? So first and foremost, I've mentioned it several times. The uh, boot camp match against Sergeant Slaughter on in Madison Square Garden on the MSG Network from 6-16-84. Had that at five stars, number 12 on my GWWE match list. Finished number 49. Uh, next, I had the Iron Sheik versus Sergeant Slaughter from Madison Square Garden on 4-23-84. I had that at 3.75. I had a tag with uh, Nikolai Volkov against Sergeant Slaughter and the Junkyard Dog from Philadelphia on November 10th of 84. So actually there's that feud was still going on towards the end of the year. So um, next I had the great Hussein Arab, uh, which is the Iron Sheik, of course, uh, against Bob Backlund from Madison Square Garden on 6-4-79 at three and a half. That's that match where he won a battle royal and then faced Backlund. Uh, I have the Hulk Hogan title change from Madison Square Garden, 123.84. I have that at three stars. I had the previous match at three and a half. Um, Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov against the British Bulldogs from 8.23.86 from Philadelphia. I had that one at three stars. I had another match with Sheik and Volkov against the British Bulldogs uh, the next month, 9.6.86. Uh, from Boston at three stars. She can Volkov against, once again, against the British Bulldogs, two out of three falls from Saturday night's main event, 5-3-86 at two and three quarters. Uh, a really interesting match with Hussein Arab versus Ted DiBiase on WWF Championship Wrestling from 11-24-79. I had that at 2.75. I had a tag match with Sheik and Volkov against Andre the Giant and Sergeant Slaughter from Madison Square Garden, 10-14-84, also at 2.75. I had the Bob Backlund title change uh, from Madison Square Garden, 12-26-83 at two and a half stars. Um, I had the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov versus the U.S. Express from WrestleMania 1. At two and a half stars, that's less for the star rating, more for uh, the historical significance there. Um, the great Hussein Arab versus Antonio Inoki from Madison Square Garden, 12-17-79 at two and a half stars. And again, historical significance, as well as the Iron Sheik's match with Andre the Giant on the Madison Square Garden Network from 9784. I just had that one at two stars, but it was pretty rare for Andre to have a one-on-one match that wasn't a complete squash, and she didn't get a lot of offense in, but it was a much longer match than you would expect Andre to go unless he was facing two or three people or it was a tag match. So that is the match resume I have for Sheiky Baby. JBL, I'll start from the top, really. I got him. Well, I think I get two or three four-star four star plus matches, one being, all right, so Mr. WrestleMania, Shawn Michaels, Mr. SummerSlam, Brock Lesnar, Mr. Royal Rumble, John Cena, whoever, yada, 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 right? So, Mr. Judgment Day <laughs> is JBL with two back-to-back four-star matches, first one being 
the bloody oh the unbelievable have you have you watched this match in a while the Eddie Guerrero 2004 Judgment Day match it ends yes. in DQ but Jesus Christ that's that chair shot was fucking vicious oh clobbers him and you just see him gig he, oh my God he hits an artery man he just that ro- that canvas was just 50% red it was outrageous that, excellent match great drama. You know, the DQ finish, it led to the story, and it led to the future. But, oof, I don't even care. Four stars. The I Quit match with JBL, with Cena, too. Cena's on his way. A nice cap to smack, Cena's SmackDown. Uh, three and three quarters, four stars. It's a really, really, really good match. Borderline's great. And then um, the Michaels match. It's not four stars. It's three and a half, but it's Shawn Michaels. Remember Shawn Michaels was poor, and JBL was... Uh, but secured him financially in 2009. Yes, I thought that sucked. <laughs> 2009 is fucking weird. Very, yeah. very weird. And um, I mean the storyline, not the match. I, I thought the storyline sucked. I thought that was dumb. Yeah. But. It was, it, it was, and it's right before like an epic shot Michaels Undertaker feud <laughs> or yeah. match, whatever. I love the Belfast Brawl match at WrestleMania uh, 24, three and a half stars. I loved how JBL kind of kicks Hornswoggle leading into it, and he kind of tra- takes all the Mr. McMahon heat into and he kind of takes it all and, and, and sucks it all up in a vacuum, and they just go out there and literally have a Belfast brawl, and they just go out there and kick each other's ass at the beginning of that match. And it, it is a very, very under-the-radar WrestleMania opener. And being in, and being in WrestleMania and adds a little love to it, too. He's eliminated early, but the Backlash 08 match, three-and-a-half stars, uh, I love the Benoit match at WrestleMania. It's kind of under the radar. It's kind of that's a really good deep show, and that's kind of just a three and a half, three and a quarter middle links match, middle of the show match. But it, it was solid. Um, the Vader fiasco. It was like a work shoot at like that in your house. What was it? It was like one of the last in your houses. It was when he was right after the the, the Bradshaw. The Blackjacks. He just him and Vader just go out there and literally just like punch each other in the face and. Yeah, it was it was it was a disaster, but it but really it really really in a good way. The, the brawl for all stuff, you can't put a, a star rating on that too, but it, it adds to his resume. Um, Matt, like uh, like I think he had a they had a pretty decent Hardy match on a Raw. I, I want to recall. I don't I didn't have the date and I didn't rewatch it unfortunately. And then just a memorable APA Invitational Barroom Brawl. I <laughs> like Doug the Clown shows up. Harvey like every like it's just Brother Love shows up. It's 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 super fun. It's hard to grade, but it's I don't even know if there's a fucking pinfall, <laughs> but it's it was it was it was really really fun. Um, but that's kind of the depth of it, you know what I mean? He's he's underwhelming with Batista. He's underwhelming with Jericho, unfortunately. Even though both of them had a little juice to it, um, there's really there's really really not much. He was a he was a Ray's best opponent. In 2006, when Ray was had that title run, I really liked the the cage match on that SmackDown. That was really good, um, but uh, it's it really was it was kind of middling at best. You know, three 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 and a quarter stuff. You know, um, the Kurt match on the SmackDown taping, three stars. I think I had it. I rewatched it early in my. It was at the tail end of 04. Um, I don't, I, I didn't, I don't, I didn't have a date and I really didn't, um, get it, but I think I put it at three. I didn't really write it down or anything, but I just recall it. 
the Eddie stuff, like I mentioned earlier, the bell, the bull, the 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 bull rope match, the, the cl- it was a little clunky. How Kurt came out kind of took away from the moment and pronounced him the winner. That was a little clunky, but I loved the fi- the clever finish. And it was it was it, it was hard to live up to the brutality of the Judgment Day match. But I thought they went out there and had a banger for a bell rope style match. I think I went three and a half on that. But other than that, you know, just. And then before that, it's really just it's there's not much. The the hall match is wicked disappointing, and then there's not much other than that. I would give it. I would go JBL here just because of volume, but cheeky stuff is more um, like jump up and peak. You know what I mean? Yeah, Please. there's there's no way I would go JBL on this one though. I, I we don't disagree strongly often, but I would argue that with for as many opportunities as JBL had, uh, I actually like the judgment day matches maybe even more than you did i had both of them i think made my uh made my gw match list so those you know were at least four and a quarter but i i think that there was a considerable amount of pretty disappointing main event style matches so um you know so i would have had chic here um and i mean we can mark this off however we like but i you know the the both the peak matches and the work rate are what are part of uh you know what would separate these on on my list so uh, that's that's my case for it is that i i think that the uh, the boot camp match eclipses you know the anything that JBL has. And then I, I just feel like there's a lot of stuff that isn't great, which I, I mean, I guess that I, I feel like he should have had a lot more peak matches with the position that he had and the opportunities he had being on pay-per-view and TV so often. And that's kind of, you know, that's a little bit of a, a debate and referendum between eras as well that i was just gonna say that's an that's an error that's that's an error thing and how you would weigh that all right you take the high water stuff the boot match in the in the judgment day stuff and then throw in the what did you did you rate the hogan match it's hard to rate it it's more of a jump yeah i i rated it three stars and that's that's comparable you know that's that's fine so if you want to take those and outweigh those but then again how deep do you want to like jump into the missed opportunities like i mentioned the the jericho and the and the uh the big jesus christ the big show stuff the batista stuff is very underwhelming so and then the 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 ray stuff's middling the benoit stuff's good but jesus christ it's benoit you know what i mean um it's it's yeah, there's some there's some definite swings and misses and then see even Cena late was a kind of they had some misses too really Mr. Judgment Day wasn't Mr. Judgment Day later. Yeah. You know, I think that 08, his 08 run hurts him. But then again, he's past his peak. Not that that matters, but Jesus, they fought at the Rumble, too. I didn't watch that, but, you know, they what, what Meltzer gives that two and three quarter or two and a half. Excuse me. So, I don't know. It's comparable, but then there's there's swings, there's misses. And oh, that's 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 discretion. Um there's like there's a little more meat on JBL, but then again, how much of that meat would you take away because of like you said misses? But hey, well, I I don't know. Is the, I mean we're talking if it's about a different era. If it's real quick, if it's a different era, Shiki's in the main event scene a lot longer, and 
you know, could he have withstained too? You know, I mean, it's just hard. He becomes right. a tag team wrestler much quicker. And, the, and it's not as deep as when JBL is a tag wrestler in the 90s when you have the Hardys and, you know, the Dudleys and Edge and Christian and all those teams above him. You know, it's it's the Sheiky is the main event of the tag team division. You know what I mean? For two years. So it's there's not that much depth. So it's hard. It's really hard to weigh. Yeah. And it I mean, how much do you weigh? You know, I've got the boot camp match at five stars. So I'd have to watch two, four to four and a quarter to, or, you know, whatever matches. How does that equal a five star? I mean, and again, this is all subjective. So, you know, yeah. yeah. Well, let's, let's throw that in the chat or not in the chat. Let's throw that in the Facebook page. If those who haven't seen it, they can go out and see it and they'll probably maybe put a stamp on their work resume. But like you said, I, I, I would mean JBL, but Hey, if that's a five-star match, JBL doesn't have that. I haven't two. Yeah. Four four and a quarter star matches as his peak. He has a yeah. little he has a little more depth, but she it's different errors. It's really really hard to get way if if that boots boot ugh, if that boot camp match is legit five stars then that weighs a lot more. Yeah, all uh, videos into the uh, the Facebook page when this posts to it. So I uh, have some of the other matches for sure too. So. So longevity, JBL, charisma, JBL, star power, Iron Sheik, flexibility, JBL, peak moments, Iron Sheik, storyline, JBL, promos, JBL, character work, Iron Sheik, work, Iron Sheik, work resume, subjective, but a tinge towards Iron Sheik with a five to five score. So right now, where do you have these guys? Uh, So... On my draft, I have Cheeky Baby at 49, I believe. Let me. Yeah, I have Sheik at 49 and JBL at 87. So Sheik dropped just three spots, um, and I, I'm, I thought I was actually moving him up because there were just some people that, and most of the the women in particular, just moved ahead of him. Uh, JBL had tumbled quite a few spots from the previous time. Um, you know, I put that distance again to the, you know, the how I think of the character work and how memorable they are. And then from from there to the work rate, which did surprise me. And there were just more things kind of in the background, you know, going on. Uh, and then just being surprised by, you know, some of the... Uh, rock and wrestling work that I didn't know, didn't really think was all that great because again, you see a two minute match on pay-per-view. Well, you, you'll see those longer matches, you know, on that house show circuit. So, and again, this is a draft. I've got five months left to go. So, you know, it's possible JBL could eat, you know, eat up a few more spots and move up a a few. I'm not, uh, not writing that off. That's where I had him. Hey, at least you got a rough draft ready, pill. <laughs> I got to get my shit together. But I know. got a Google Doc. I just keep moving people around on. So. Ah, that's cool. That's cool. All right, Tyler. Till next time, pal. All right. Sounds good. Bye.